Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio by Rashpixel.fm, the podcast that shows do-gooders, nonprofits, and businesses how to build win-win partnerships that raise money and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by Engage for Good and Selfish Giving. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at engageforgood.com and selfishgiving.com. Now, on to today's episode. Hey everyone, it's Joe Waters. I want to welcome you to another episode of Cause Talk Radio. On the line with me, of course, is Megan Strand. Hey, Megan. Hello. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm hanging in there. I mean, you know, what I love about Cause Talk Radio is I get to talk about all the things I love, right? You right. book these wonderful guests. Just so people know, the way it works is Megan does both, most of the booking of guests. But one of the things Megan always keeps in mind is my tremendous area of interest in so many different things, <laughs> right? You always keep that in mind, right? No, I don't. I you know, do. like we talked to we talked to Tony's Chocolate Only a couple of weeks ago. You know how big of a fan I am with chocolate. And now on the line, you booked another stellar guest. We have Sarah DeLay, who is president of the Mondelez International Foundation. And she's going to be talking about one of my favorite things in the whole world, gardening, school and community-based gardening programs on five continents. Hey, Sarah, what's happening? Hey, Joe. Hey, Megan. Glad to be here. Very excited to be part of the program. And, uh, to give you some tips on gardening, Jeff. That's right, absolutely. Yeah. And we're and, around the world, yeah. You know, and I wanna. <laughs> I saw Sarah that you are, you know, in Chicago. So I wanted to congratulate you on your Cubs. You know, they had a very successful year <laughs> last year. It's too bad they couldn't win, win two in a row because you know the Red Sox will be winning this year once they get around to their usual winning form. <laughs> Right? That's true with Poppy. Yeah. <laughs> Poppy retired. You know that, Sarah. My my mother cries every day that Big Poppy retired. So she's sad about that. She says the Red Sox just aren't the same with it. But as Megan often reminds me, this is not a sports show. So, <laughs> right, Megan, we have to move on. And That's we have, right. And we have, in addition to Boston sports, another thing I love, though, is I love these gotten-in-based programs. And one of the things I would love you to start with, Sarah, is – I don't think all our listeners, I know I wasn't familiar with Mondelez International. Tell us a little bit about what Mondelez International is and how the foundation got started. Sure. Well, Mondelez International is probably best known for our wonderful uh, cookies and crackers, such as Oreos, Mm. Ritz, Triscuits. Chips Ahoy. Oh we also goodness. make lovely chocolates such as Codor, Milka, uh, Cadbury, oh. as well as uh, a leader in powder beverages such as Tang. Um, and we have been uh, in uh, place since 2012. And part of that work as a company, as we look at what we can do, being a large uh, food and beverage manufacturer, large snack maker, is what's the impact we can have, the positive impact we can have on the world. And that's when we launched our call for well-being a few years back, which really focuses on four areas where we can make an impact around our well-being snacks, sustainability, looking at our environmental footprint, as well as how we're sourcing agricultural products, safety of both our products, as well as our colleagues. And then, of course, communities, where we really know we can have a positive impact in the communities where we work and live, as well as those who are in continents where we have a lot of manufacturing sites. So Mondelez itself is a large company, and then the foundation is a part of that, which helps support the Call for Wellbeing platform. And how long have you been president of the foundation, Sarah? 
So I've been president of our foundation now for a little bit over a year. Oh, very good. And what did you do before that, Sarah? Have you always been with bigger companies uh, managing their foundations? All right. So I have been with uh, Mondelez itself for the last 15 years. Ah, and as part of okay. that, I've overseen our call for well-being as well as our global community involvement and well-being efforts. Is the foundation new then in 2013 or has it always been in place and you just moved It always over? had been in place. It always the foundation had always been in place. We had a lovely director, Nicole Robinson, who left us last year, and she's actually working uh, with uh, a great organization in Chicago to address and fight hunger, especially here in the Chicago area. And so when Nicole left, I was approached with this wonderful opportunity, and I couldn't say no because what the foundation does and the impact we're having in communities is just fantastic. So does that mean you get more Oreo, Sarah? <laughs> Since you work for the foundation, I mean, did they did they did they sweeten the deal for you? <laughs> that and a, and a bit of dark chocolate from Kojor oh, that always works. But that's right. uh, yeah. it, no, Sarah, if you ever need hurt. a consultant, you just call me and you can pay me in Oreos, gum, <laughs> and Cadbury chocolate. Deal? Uh, it's a deal. It's a deal, Joe. Absolutely. <laughs> I was just going to say, but the foundation, right, has been a part of really supporting the call for well-being through our healthy lifestyle programs. And part of that is focused on three areas. I think as you were alluded to, one of them is about the gardening, which is about mm. providing access to fresh foods, uh, including fruits and vegetables and protein, to uh, communities, families, children, and at-risk areas. In addition to promoting uh, good nutrition education, so children understand what they should be eating, as well as increasing their physical activity. Is this a newer effort for Mondelez and the foundation tackling childhood obesity and nutrition and, and things like that? And is it only globally or does this happen in the U.S. as well? So we have been at this since 2012, 2013. The foundation has been around with the company and we as a company understand sort of the complex issue around childhood obesity. And, you know, we uh, and as a company have taken a lot lot of action around what we do with our products, how we are improving those, as well as how we talk about our products and providing information to consumers. And where the foundation is really playing a key role in that is about providing healthier communities, uh, especially communities where they're at risk, where they may not have access to fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. Well, they may, the children may not understand what constitutes a good diet or may have lack of space or isn't really physical active, you know, very active physically. So we look at really finding out and working with partners because the key thing is working with different partners in Mm -hmm. different countries around the world who can help us deliver this impactful, healthy lifestyle programming, which is around nutrition, education, active play, and providing access to uh, nutrient-rich foods. Isn't that so true, Megan? If people had access to, to gardens, to fresh fruits and vegetables and stuff like that, I mean, there is no more satisfaction than growing your own stuff and and using it, you know, coming right from the garden. That must be so empowering for kids, Sarah. It is. And what we've found, too, is we talk to our partners, whether it's here in the United States, in Mexico, South Africa, where they actually are doing aquaponics, which is very exciting, uh, in Brazil, where we've had the gardening program for a very long time, is that it really reinforces the part they learn about good nutrition. Mm-hmm. When they're actually out there in the garden, you know, learning about the different vegetables, learning about the different fruits, taking part in the harvest, it really brings to life for them 
uh, you know, the importance of having fresh fruit and vegetables. Yep. Interestingly enough, uh, we have a program in China, our Hope Kitchen, and that started off really with making sure kitchens within schools were, you know, able to provide fresh fruit and vegetable and good nutrition. And they've expanded it to include gardening recently mm-hmm. uh, after they actually talked to our Brazil partner. And now one of the parents of the students says the child, you know, his daughter gets so excited. She comes home and she tells them what they're eating wrong and what they should be eating. That's how you know you're doing it right. Now, wait a minute. That, that's uh, how you know you're doing it right. All right. Now, Sarah, <laughs> new word alert. What's aquaponics? Yes, aquaponics. So aquaponics is a system, a food production system, and they've just instituted it uh, using it in South Africa with our program there, uh, Health for Life in South Africa. Uh, InMed is overseeing that, and they partnered with a local university. So what it is, it's where it's a, it's where fish. So it's fish are in one area mm-hmm. in a tank, mm-hmm. and they're eating along. And fish obviously have waste, yep. and then the waste is then filtered through, and that water with the fish waste is filtered through and put into the planting beds where we have, you know, vegetables like peppers, mm-hmm. tomatoes. Uh, you could have strawberry, you know, ve- uh, fruits like strawberries. And so it's sort of circular, mm-hmm. right? So yep. it's, and then the waste and leftover from the vegetables can then be fed, ground up and brought back into the fish. So it's very much a, wow. a circular Wow, so that's process. like, yeah, so that's true sustainability there. Because then it's well, not like it you're, tra- you're transplant, you know, you're transporting anything either. Right. And the nice thing about it is, too, is that where in South Africa these are taking place, it's a place that is water stressed. Mm-hmm. where they don't have a lot of, you know, potable water or water availability even to use for uh, agricultural production. Wow, that's, that's fantastic. Incredible. Yeah, that is incredible. One of the other things that I thought was so interesting, um, and we just t- talked about this on another podcast, Joe, so I'll be interested to hear what you think too, but Mondelez seems like they do a really good job in the foundation tracking how the impact is working. So it looks to me like you've partnered up with a public health expert. Can you talk a little bit about how important it is to gauge metrics of impact for you? Absolutely. In fact, Megan, you hit it right on the head. I mean, coming in with a business mindset, it's always important for us that we track and we see how our programs are doing. And while reach is really important to know how many people we've reached, we also want to make sure that we're seeing change on the ground. And so we did. We brought in our partners back in 2013 with uh, an expert from Yale Public School of of Health, Dr. Uh, Raphael Escamila Perez but I call him Dr. Raphael for short. <laughs> so, but Dr. Raphael, and he's wonderful. And he helps uh, guide our partners at looking at these three KPIs, which is the percentage of, you know, participants in the programs in these markets that are increasing their nutrition knowledge, the percent who have increased their physical activity by at least 30 minutes or know the importance and out there playing. And then, of course, uh, increase access to the fresh foods and the gardening. And the gardening is really just a key part of that. Especially what we're finding out, too, is sort of the innovation that comes from this, Mm -hmm. that you see different markets implementing these KPIs and tracking them, um, but also how they're implementing that gardening side of it. Because you got to think about it. For instance, some are in urban areas, right? Right, Like in Birmingham, land is, you know, not 
uh, Birmingham, UK, land is not widely available. So they're doing rooftop gardens. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love that. We just talked about, yeah, we just talked, and the kids love going up there. And in fact, in Brazil, one of the students in our program there in Recife, they love, they say their favorite part is to go out to the garden. So they've got little plots of land that they're able to secure to do some gardening. They take, you know, tires, big tires, and just reuse those to become gardens. Oh, cool. So all sorts of innovation. So it's, it, are you able to take any of those lessons learned, maybe from South Africa, although that's the aquaponics, um, and, and share that with other global communities where it might be effective? Like, is that something you're able to do from your position at the foundation? It is. What we have done is, I mean, one of the key things that we feel is key to our um, success is really sharing our experiences and our learning experiences, not only among the NGO partners who are working with, because like I said, China learned from Brazil. And in fact, when South Africa was talking about it, uh, its aquaponics program, our partners in India were thinking about it. But he, he, even here in the United States, where we work with schools across the country, and like one being in Las Vegas, <laughs> in the area and in the desert, could aquaponics work for them? Oh, right, and then right, yeah. by, by pulling this all together in a report, we are able to share it broadly. Is that how mainly the sharing happens in terms of, you know, you generating the reports in terms of what's happening worldwide and people digesting that information or are there other ways that they learn about what's happening? It's a bit of both. You know, definitely the reports help so people can download and they can read about it and they can reach out to our partners, you know, promoting it through the different social media channels. But even our partners engaging uh, there on the ground and with other uh, organizations they may be working with, because it's really, you know, especially nowadays as organizations, nonprofits are looking to, you know, make sure they make the most of their resources. This is one way that they're able to do it by exchanging ideas and learning how one group succeeded. And maybe there was a way they could take an element of that to make their program. The other thing that I think is probably really helpful for these NGO partners, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is just that having needing to track the impact Mm. in a very scientific way, I would imagine would be helpful for them as well to kind of know what's working and what's not. Because I think sometimes what happens is they're like, well, we think this is working or anecdotally, we think. But really, when you look into the data, you can find some other correlations and you're like, oh, well, this can help. You know, this can help that. And this is doing whatever. Do you find that that's a benefit? That is. And I would say, you know, before we started instituting the KPIs, all of our partners were sort of tracking against sort of the three areas because that was key, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. of the foundation programs. But nobody was putting percentage or somebody would do it different. So right. by at least having a, a an aligned KPI agreed upon global metrics that they all agreed upon, which mm-hmm. was key, mm-hmm. too, um, that helps. And then they could they we can look at it ourselves and say, OK, it's working over here but we don't see that same success in in Mexico, what seems to be happening. Mm -hmm. What we also find out, though, is that helping our partners build their capacity to do KPIs, Mm. because that is a challenge for a lot of of nonprofits, you know, is the ability to track and measure and how to institute KPIs. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Raphael has been just extremely helpful in working with our partners and helping them. It's, it's like a resource there for them to bounce ideas off of. Mm-hmm. 
So what? Uh, so give us a give us a real success story in one of the areas that you're working in. <laughs> and one of the things I'd be interested in too, Sarah, is give me a challenge too. What has been challenging in one of, one or more of the areas that you've been working with? I would think um, so. One of the success stories I would say we have a couple. I mean, in the UK, which the program is now, you know, in its fifth year and it's it's wrapping up. I mean, we've seen a lot of success and actually the impact we've had on families in the community and the results there, you know, about, you know, those who are benefiting 68% of the parents say, I now look at what the food labels, right? So they're actually taking home, um, the parents are taking home the ideas. In China, what we really have seen is uh, great success in not only, you know, uh, students with a normal BMI, you know, body mass index increasing by 6%, but the rate of malnutrition has decreased by Mm. 10%. And I think it's key for people to understand that, you know, to address malnutrition isn't about providing fortification, fortified right. foods, right? It's right, about right. getting access to the foods that you, you can have. Yes, there are going to be times when fortification is needed. But to me, this was really a fantastic success story is about how we're addressing it. Um, a, another way to address, you know, malnutrition. I think one of the challenges is, and while we've seen success, say, in Mexico, because mm-hmm. Once the students were engaged in the gardening and learning about it, um, you know, their consumption doubled. Of, you know, they reported eating more fruits and vegetables, but we still have a ways to go to sort of help them understand, you know, culturally about how to make sure you're not eating, you know, too many snacks or sweets because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. they'll say, well, I had three or four. So it's trying to help them balance it. I would say another challenge we're seeing, too, is, and we're making great headway, but when we go out into these markets and into the communities, uh, it's getting the government officials with us, as well as education, education officials, um, and it's just slow. It takes some time to build their trust, as well as the trust of the parents, Mm, because they want to, and when they see the results, they're like, okay, so then all of a sudden we get a more influx of students who are participating in the program because the parent sees the benefit. Mm -hmm. Is that, is that a hard place for you to be as Mondelez representative to say, eat fewer snack foods? No, because it's all about good nutrition. Right. Yeah. I mean, ourselves, I mean, we actually, one of the things, Megan, uh, and and that's a question that comes up and it's fair, but one of the things that we look at as being a large maker of snack foods is to help people understand how to enjoy their snacks and do it in balance. That's right. To do it. An Oreo is not dinner. It's dessert. But no, but here's the thing though. But see what people need to do is they need to take my approach because what I do is I make sure that I eat very healthful meals. All right. Meals that are good for me. <laughs> I eat vegetables. I eat lean protein and stuff like that. But then I top it off with a couple Oreos. Right. And you know, the problem is, is when people are eating Oreos and then they're washing it down with a Big Mac. So that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> well, like, you know, you got to eat. You got to eat healthy at some point. And then at the very kind of top of the pyramid there, you just add a few snacks on top of that. Although two Oreos quickly turns into 10 with me. Well, uh, you're our favorite customer. <laughs> but I, would say I really that, am. Yeah. I really am. But I mean, you're right. 
But you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the things we do look at as part of, you know, our work within within the company is to help people understand about mindful, being mindful about yeah. how much you're taking in, yeah. what right. we would call mindful snacking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because we also hear from people, they want their sweet treats. Don't take it away. That's it's right. very much yeah. part of my well-being, my That's wellness. Right. I want to have my chocolate. I want to have my cookie. I want to have my Oreo. But what we're helping them is to understand how that fits in with the whole diet. And so right. you can enjoy it not beat yourself up, right. you know, right. and just have it as part of, you know, a balanced diet. Why don't you grow a plant? And at the same I mean, time, you guys just are make big. sure it's a little bit better where we can, you know, yeah. a little bit less sugar, a little bit less calories. You folks are a big company, so I'm, I imagine you always experimented with new products. Why don't you do something? You develop a plant that grows Oreos, okay, that grows <laughs> Oreos. They taste like Oreos, but they're good for you like kale. Broccoli. <laughs> could you do that for me could you do that, that for I me i think that's the, we'll, the, we'll the hope of every it, food manufacturer in the world so. yeah you know what i mean so because we'll look I, into it for you yeah i mean i'm i'm because i mean that's what i really need because i mean i've been at the supermarket for the past three days waiting for the all marshmallow lucky charms to arrive oh my and, gosh I and saw if that on your i post. can you know if if somehow we can turn those into a health benefit sarah that would be huge for me We'll, we'll start investigating that right away. <laughs> so, jo- so Joe had asked. In about- the meantime, you can have an Oreo thin. That's those I know. Good. I like those too. The problem is, is I eat twice as many of them, Sarah. <laughs> That's not Sarah's fault, Joe. Just for the record, Sarah. Uh, Joe had asked you also about any challenges that you may have encountered. I mean, it sounds like a very simple thing to coordinate food programs around the world, but I'm mm. sure you've had a it few like- things that you've had to grapple with over. Over, uh, over your implementation and, and execution. Is there anything you can think of to share that might have been challenging? Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of times it's uh, it's the implementation of the KPIs, just trying to get that started off and to get good baseline data. And so that has been, you know, a challenge. Um, but like I was saying earlier, it's also that opportunity where we can help build the capacity of the organization on the ground. And the other, I would say, challenge, too, is just, again, bringing the community along. We've been, you know, we've got great partners. And as the community comes along, you know, it just takes time. And I right. think people think, oh, we've gone in and it's going to happen overnight. You know, these programs have been, some have been in place for, you know, four to five years. And you're starting to see, you know, results and steady results. And I think that's the key for people to remember, too. Mm. It's not that's, an overnight success. That's a really important yeah. point, All especially when you're and dealing like with And like you said, you're dealing nutrition. with different, you're dealing with different cultures. You're dealing with different governments and stuff like that. You know, I had this interesting experience, Sarah, where a friend of mine was helping. Um, he went to Haiti and he was helping the people there raise chickens, uh, not to eat the chickens, but to for the eggs. And uh, so they were doing great with the eggs and stuff like that. Like that and he was like okay you know take good care of the chickens you know I'll, and when i come back you know we'll talk more about how you can grow your chicken operation here well he came back and they had eaten all the chickens and he said um, why you did that and he's and you know it, it was a cultural thing though because they were saying that things are so bad in haiti that you had to take of good thing take advantage of good things when they were there or they would soon be gone right. anyways so they ate the chickens you know, and and he yeah. said he had yeah. never thought of that as like a cultural issue that he had to deal with. And, and you know, and it sounds like that's what you're dealing with, too. Issues of culture, issues of trust. You're dealing with governments. You're dealing with bureaucracies. It's not simple. 
Right. And, you know, one thing will work in one area may not work exactly the same, you know, in, in another country. So you do have to kind of keep that in mind. And also just the pace of things may may not be the same, though we always encourage, you know, get us our baseline. Uh, let's try to get our midline uh, and definitely get us inline results because what we want to see is what's that progress. But you're right. Sometimes there might, you know, be a hiccup along the way uh, that they just, you know, you don't anticipate. Right. And that gets to, I think, the key point that you were making, too, Joe, is the sustainability of programs. Yeah. Um, I mean, so far, programs that we, you know, had supported in the past, you know, we do see that they're continuing on. Like I mentioned, the one that we have in the UK is continuing on because it's, you know, it's been effective and it's received enough, you know, um, recognition mm -hmm. to know that it's effective, effective so other uh, organizations come in. Right. Um, but that's a key thing as we look at with our partners, how can we ensure the sustainability? Because, you know, you can only do so many partners for so many years before you at least want to start trying something new or help another community. Can I just ask you logistically on the foundation side, how many people do you have working with these different programs around the world? Well, we're we're a small and mighty team of uh, three here, oh. <laughs> um, and we have our time. But we have wonderful partners on the ground, yeah, that's a, as important. well as our I, own. Yeah. Right. Well, because all of the partners too, I should say, while we you know provide some oversight and guidance, we do work with our partners hand in hand. But they're the ones who are developing the programs and Absolutely. implementing them on the ground. We will have our colleagues, you know our local colleagues there able to help as well, especially when we're looking at volunteer opportunities, because again, that's really important for us as part of the foundation, engaging our employees, our colleagues out in the work that we're doing. And especially since a lot of this work is in the communities where their families are, their friends are, so where they're working and living, it's really important to help get them engaged in what these programs are about. Well, Sarah, this is such a great program and we so appreciate you coming on and sharing a little bit more about it with our listeners. If people want to find out more about this program, how might they do that online? They could go to uh, our, our website, www.mondelezeinternational.com. Though I think you can do mdlz.com as well, but it's definitely www.mondelezeinternational.com. Awesome. Or follow us on our Twitter handle. Oh, good. Which is at, yeah, so follow the, the, the Mondelez Twitter handle because we're always promoting, I mean, a lot of what our partners are doing and they're tagging us. It's at M as in Mary, D as in David, L, Z, M-D-L-Z, at M-D-L-Z. Oh, very good. Excellent. We'll make sure to put we'll that in the show notes. We'll put that in the show yeah. notes. Yeah. yeah. And Joe, where can people find you online? Uh, people can find I me. I know you're hard to find. I know. I'm very hard to find. So you can definitely find me on Twitter, at Joe Waters, talking about Oreos and Trident Gum. Uh, you can <laughs> find me on Pinterest with all my cause-related pins at Pinterest.com, front slash Joe Waters. And of course, visit Selfish Giving, sign up for my email newsletter, get my five-day mini course on cause marketing. What about you, Megan? Where can people find you? I am also on Twitter, at Megan Strand, and I tweet for Engage for good at engage for good which is where you can also find show notes engageforgood.com as well as selfishgiving.com and be sure to subscribe to cause talk radio in itunes or google play or wherever you get your podcast so that you do not miss an episode and on behalf of sarah and joe and myself i'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of cause talk radio and we'll talk to you next time 